everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, Timochin, with our regular trio here. We got Galley and Beckler. Galley with a background, now that he's gone to the stadium, we can't just pull him apart for a minute. How's it going there, Galley? It, uh, it seemed like a little bit better than my bad cluttering office that you're used to seeing in the background, so... Yeah, Kelly has done a fine job with the place, looks like, in the background. That looks pretty good. Well, kudos to her. But then we she have Bickler. Uh, oh, that, well, that's, yeah, I like the squares. Um, <laughs> and we also have Bickler with us in his regular location. Bickler, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, not much. Uh, this is almost like therapy session the second. Uh, we had a pot with Bickler last week. You were traveling, Galley. Uh, we kind of like licked our wounds, but we had the Champions League final to look forward to, and then obviously it did not go our way. So we'll talk a bit about the game uh, throughout the show. We're going to have a couple of the listeners uh, kind of like join in live. If you have a camera and a microphone, uh, just let us know in the comments. Uh, we can kind of shoot you a link and you can kind of join in. Give us a two, three minutes uh, kind of like version of what you thought of the season or how you feel now, because I think you know we see it online the emotions are all over the freaking place it's kind of calming down today looks like but definitely like yesterday and the weekend was just freaking brutal uh so let's start with the game though um even before the game let's start with the the fiasco before the game with the game starting late, uh, Liverpool fans not being able to get in. Uh, we're finding out a lot more now. I think on Saturday there were a lot of questions and a lot of like different theories. Obviously, everybody was kind of throwing their own theory out there uh, to cover their ass. Uh, but now the truth is coming out more and more, more people like telling their stories and stuff. What do you make of this disaster, Bickler? I mean, it's just disgusting. Like when it was happening, I think I was the only one that was like, just let's just wait till all the facts come out because I think it's an uncomfortable position to start. Um, basically, I don't know. Like I just, I, I'm very conscious of the whole uh, way that people view Liverpool supporters as wanting to play victims often. So I thought, you know, this was probably just gross mismanagement across the board. Uh, and it's turning out that it is, but it, did specifically have to do with a large number of Liverpool supporters in relation to Real Madrid. And then you cannot deny the fact that after the match, the there was the, uh, an entire police force in front of the Liverpool side, nothing in front of the Real Madrid side, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, I think, you know, we know UEFA's crooked. I think the baseline we can expect from them is them to provide a tournament that is safe for fans, though. And, and they weren't able to do that. It's really um, – disheartening and it's really scary to see a potential situation that we've already seen in this club's history happen again through mismanagement and to again have local police and local government blame fans who did nothing but follow the direction that they were given um and, and those facts are coming out and those facts will be found out whether there's an independent investigation or not um this isn't 27 years ago this isn't 30 years ago people have cameras media was there and no matter how many media members they put in police vans and made them scrub their phones, there's plenty of footage out there that speaks a completely different narrative than the prime minister of the French government is putting out there with UEFA. Yeah, and I was just reading, I haven't read a lot about it except like the links that we got, like, you know, some of the fans were sharing on our Discord fan channel. Uh, but I was just like reading something like an hour or so before the pod about 
uh, like Liverpool looking to seek legal action, uh, more like kind of like threatening for an apology more than I think going forward with the legal action. So, Gally, you think it's just coincidence that the mismanagement kind of ended up on that side of the stadium by some chance? Or what do you make of it? Uh, all right. So I'm with Paul. Pre and during the match, I was getting a little uncomfortable with the immediate rush to defend. Um, you know, even the initial images of any supporters jumping over railings and f climbing fences, in most instances, they've proven that these were local kids. They were mostly actually like they were kind of saying they were kind of the French um, local supporters and locals that were hanging outside the stadiums, utilizing the opportunity. Uh, there's actually video of a, of a Liverpool supporter actually trying to stop what looks like a, a young kid just climbed the fence. And the Liverpool supporter is pulling him down off the fence, doing more than the police and the stewards that are right there next to the fence, letting the kid climb over and run into the stadium. Um, first off, I think that we will hear, and it'll be lip service and an excuse. We're going to hear that, you know, had they had a year to prepare for this match to be in France, security would have been better. And I'd like to believe it probably would have. Um, you know, this match was moved to Paris when the invasion in Russia or when Russia invaded, invaded the Ukraine. Do I think UEFA should be able to formalize security and work with the French government? I do, but we've seen this before. I mean, there was massive problems at the African Cup of Nations at their final uh, with tickets and players and supporters being safely escorted into the stadiums. I have a problem with the immediate response that it was Liverpool's fault. And that's really where I think it comes to. I know that the chairman of uh, FSG, Tom Werner, has issued a statement demanding for an apology. And Liverpool has said that they support UEFA in a private investigation. We all know what those, you know, private third-party investigations really are. They're usually paid for to slate it the way that they want it to go. But the stories are out there to Paul's point, children being tear gassed, um, multiple gates being shut down and even security areas being blocked off by caravans and buses. And, and, you know, you mentioned I was at the stadium. It was really easy getting into Anfield. It was nothing like that. But this was such a, a uniform process of how they got people through, how they got people through that were handicapped or disabled. Um, you know, the stories that there were people, there were blind patrons outside the stadium for upwards of two hours that couldn't get through the turnstiles, five, six people checking tickets. I think we're going to find out security wasn't available but more importantly, we're going to find out that there was a gross negligence in preparation and there just weren't enough staff. And that's, yeah, I'll say, I mean, I just tag on to what you're saying. Like, you know, should they have had a year to prepare for this? Maybe, but here are the facts. The French league has had an insanely terrible year with security and crowd mismanagement. Like they've had everything you can imagine. There's been terrible fan violence in that league this year. There's been gate crashing. There's been all of that. Um, you know, I've been to Paris. It's it's a major European city. It has a very well-known problem with pickpockets and thieves. And to hear that there are bands of organized thieves that are inside the stadium because they got in because people stopped checking tickets and because outside the ground there was no police presence, 
Like, it's just, you know, they want to sit here and they want to blame Liverpool fans for being late, which we found out wasn't true. And we found out why they were late. Essentially, they parked three police vans across an entire corridor. It was a 15-foot gap for 20,000 people that showed up two hours early to get there. And that only got that only got worse as people crowded in. And I think that's criminally negligent. I just do not understand it. There was no answer provided for it. Then they said it's counterfeit tickets. And then we find out that not only is it not counterfeit tickets, they were turning away fans that had legitimate tickets. And we have a player that came out and confirmed that, Andrew Robertson. Like, it's just, it's, there's a lack of planning is one thing. To me, the it's just criminally negligent and it, it cannot stand. Um, in not only as a Liverpool supporter, who we've seen what happens with, with this and tragedy of misman- with mismanagement leading to tragedy, but for any other club that ever goes to a final, I don't ever want to see this situation. Um, and it's just like, there's absolutely no excuse for it. There's none. And for the prime minister and the UEFA officials to be sitting up in a press box, tweeting things without ever even seeing the outside of the stadium themselves is, is just shameful. And I don't know if it is, I am not even buying the, oh, we didn't have a full year to get ready kind of thing. I mean, it's not like they found out last week either. I mean, there was plenty of time to get ready for, you know, whatever needs to be done. And like Paul is right. They have had some problems and you know, I mean, this is like, not just like a regular league game where they couldn't control the shoes. This is like 10 times worse. Uh, you have people actually traveling, uh, less more like less connected to the city, uh, knows the city less, all kinds of stuff, you know. And then obviously you have the lo- some of the locals that will take advantage of the fact that nobody is familiar with the town. That happens in any freaking final you go to. But then, yeah, you don't expect them to be able to get into the stadium and do all that kind of crap. So do you think it's just a – I mean, I understand the the reflex of – coming up with, like, random excuses, like, oh, they arrived late. Well, uh, and then they had fake tickets. And then, uh, you know, like, just trying to, like, literally, like, fire back stuff, like they were cornered. But do you think it's just a coincidence, Bickler, that it just happened to be on that side of the stadium? So, uh, I don't know. And I I think the really concerning thing is, why do you park those vehicles across the only corridor you're shoving 20,000 fans down? And, like, the problems began two and a half hours before kickoffs when they did that in like, I think it was Dominic King for the daily mail basically breaks the entire thing down. Cause he was in that line and they were like, one of them was asking in French, this saying, this is going to get very dangerous. Why, why aren't, why aren't you moving the vehicles? And they were essentially just told to shut up and stand in line. Um, which is what happens when the rest of these Liverpool supporters were penned in like cattle and French police from the other side who are free roaming are essentially just dumping tear gas into it. It's just like, I think, I think, I think the really concerning thing about this is this, this is a mixture of what I feel like is criminally negligent mismanagement and police brutality. Because like, if you look at like the way the police were, and not only just like taking people to the ground and, and, and just bashing people and not all like some of them were gate crashers. They weren't all just Liverpool fans standing there politely. I mean, there was, but there's going to be that in this situation and you have to be ready for it. Um, the fact that you, you decide because it's so bad, you're going to move them five gates over. You have to move them five gates over because the next four you've closed for some reason, like aren't open, which makes zero sense to me. Um, 
it's just I have it, it it's 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 like the neglect mixed with the brutality, which is really like crazy to me. And, and the fact that you've got them, you know, confirmed across multiple platforms, have them getting pulled into vans and stripped of their phones and made to delete footage. It's like it's like, man, this is this the truth has got to be out there this day and age. Like you, this cannot be we cannot stand by and allow this to happen in this sport or any sport for that matter. Um, it's just really like to me, this was this whole situation was more disappointing than the result in the match. Like, and I know that's crazy to say out loud for a lot of people, but the fact is, is like we played well. We ran up to a team that had like a world class goalie have a world class match, and we came out on the losing end of that. And that to me, that's fair play. All the shit that happened before the match, during the match with people getting robbed inside the stadium. And after the match, getting robbed on the way to the Metro with no police presence. To me, that's that's not that's not fair play. Do we expect really anything to come out of it though? And kind of like what Galley says, when it goes to an quote unquote independent investigating service, it's just gonna be kind of like a sugar-coated fact presented as decently as possible uh, while citing some examples of, I'm sure there were people kind of misbehaving during this because should I would lose my shit too if I paid that much and I'm trying to get into the game and it's almost kickoff time and I cannot and we don't even know why. There's Everything is like a bottleneck and everything like that. So I can see why people, some people would be over frustrated and probably start taking their frustration out one way or the other. Um, so I'm almost guessing they will focus on some of those examples and do the, but then, yeah, we could have done better too. And then, ah, next final we'll do better and pawn it away. Do you expect anything? Or is that just me being old and cynical galley or do you expect Uh, anything different? I don't expect anything special or magical to happen. I do think that because there's so much reporting out there and to Paul's point, there's a lot of folks with a lot more footage that haven't had a chance to put it all together yet. They're putting together their tweets and pictures and timelines. I think we're going to see deeper stories. I think we're also going to hear more from supporters. Anyone who was listening to uh, talk sport this morning or some of the serious XM shows, there were people who were there who were calling in and giving firsthand knowledge and, and they were speaking to pockets of what these reporters are all saying. So I feel like we're going to get some level of truth from that. What I don't believe we're going to get is what all the Liverpool supporters want, which is some huge apology. Because coming with it is also going to be, we had 40% less staff than we had at last year's Champions League final. Because that came out from UEFA employees saying, hey, we were doing what we could. In some cases, we were supposed to have 50 people at a gate, and we had eight when it came time to let people in, which is why we decided to close gates. And I, you know, I have some friends who actually have traveled. They do Super Bowls. They do, uh, they've done the World Cup. They actually work hospitality. They work the big bars. They work these events. And they're contracted a year to a year and a half in advance. And I know a lot of them basically said once it got pulled from Russia, they basically passed on where it was going to next, not knowing where it was going to be. So I do believe that they, you know, were down people. It doesn't change how the police responded. 
in a worst case scenario, the police's job is to then say, people, we're not going to get you into the stadium, but we're going to make sure you stay safe. And they did the opposite. They, as Paul said, they pushed people into tighter spaces, giving greater chance for unrest. And then in turn had, they elicited the foul behavior, whether it was people with tickets, fake tickets or not. Because when you put people in a situation of pressure, they'll usually respond. And that's what happened here. People responded and the people responding, the worst were the police. And they're the ones that are supposed to be there to help you and to keep people safe. And they did the opposite. So I don't think much comes out of it other than there'll be some lip service apologies and we'll do better. But I do think we will be, I think we will be vindicated in the larger neutrals eye where I think about an hour or two after the match last night, it was 50 50 where people were going. And I believe now we are moving much further and thank goodness there weren't, you know, more severe injuries than what we are reporting now. Yeah. Like Darren says, I mean, they, it could have ended in many deaths and quite frankly, I'm surprised it didn't. He says, and I agree. I mean, it's just, it is extremely dangerous. It's extremely reckless. How they would justify having so many less people makes no sense either. I mean, like I say, a lot of the explanations don't make sense, but I agree with Bickler. I think when we first heard it, it was kind of, you know, like stories coming from all over, some exaggerated, you don't know what to believe. But I think you mentioned it in the Discord channel, Bickler. I mean, the French authorities have to know that there's freaking cell phones and video footage all over the freaking place. It's not just the reporters. You can, you know, grab their cameras like in the old days, just grab the cameras and run with them. And basically not almost as if nothing happened. I mean, there is footage all over the freaking place. And yeah, I mean, obviously the French police and I mean, the whole setup, if it's staffing is the setup. And afterwards, I think it's more of a, People not trained well enough to handle a situation, probably not because exposed to the situation. That's why you don't cut corners in an event like that because it's a freaking once every guy knows how many years you host something like this. It's not like, you know, we'll do better next week. I guess we need another 100 guys. I mean, this is never going to happen again. If, you know, get extra bodies. If you don't need them, you don't need them, but don't have a disaster like this. This should be the main thing. It's just we're too we're too close to. I mean, I know it seems like a long like a lifetime ago, but we're still too close to Hillsborough. I mean, I, my heart breaks for people that I know were at the match that, that you know that we hear from that were at the match that have have lived through that or had families that lived through that. Um, and I just can't imagine being behind that pen, feeling that crowd grow behind you, having the push of all the the parents the sort of local youth like pushing through to try to, you know, cause they tried to crash the gate and they couldn't. So they had nowhere to go because it was blocked off under that bridge. I just can't imagine having lived through that sort of trauma and then having an experience that was awfully close to that uh, in terms of potential. I, I just, I can't imagine it, man. And it, it makes me really angry. It makes me uh, extremely upset to hear us call for an independent investigation. They meet this morning um, and it's anything but transparent, and it's just the French government, and it's just UEFA, and everybody else is not invited. They do not take questions, and then they basically put out a, a statement basically saying it's down to counterfeit tickets, which the numbers that they put forward didn't match up with the reality of the, num the attendance numbers. It's just uh, the whole thing makes me disgusted, and I sort of bitterly laugh at the comments that I see on Facebook where people are like, 
I'm done with UEFA. And I'm like, oh, like like Super League done with UEFA? Like- <laughs> yeah, I saw those as well. And even when, you know, that whole thing when, you know, the new Champions League format and stuff like that, oh, these guys are greedy and stuff. No shits. And that was the whole thing. But, yeah, that's a conversation for another day how I think oh the clubs really – Oh, my God. Kind of crap their pants on that one. Galley's having issues over there with his microphone and camera, I think, just constant harassment. The field must be like echoing in the stadium or something like that. But we can, we can hear you over here struggling in the background. Like, yeah, I get more butts in those seats for the acoustics. <laughs> so do you think, Bickler, this affected the players at all? In terms of, I mean, I guess both are exposed to it. I know. In terms I don't know. I don't know because, you know, a lot of times during the game, like everything shuts down and they're sort of like in that zone. But like, you know, they essentially had to go back to the dressing room, right? Now, like, do they have phone access? Because if they have phone access, Matip's getting a big old text that his fiance is, you know, is getting like sprayed with pepper gas and they're going back to the hotel. Robbo's getting uh, a text that his mate got bounced from the game with a real ticket, can't get in. Uh, you know, who knows? Like, you know, Tiago's wife. Like, they could all be getting those text messages right essentially before the match when they've gone back to the dressing room. Now, there's a possibility that, like, the electronics are in the bin and they're having an actual tactical team talk. I don't know. But I got to imagine um, any sort of interruption to normal pregame flow can't be great. But that happens for both teams. So, And that's the thing. I think, you know, it messes up their ritual altogether, I would think. And I can kind of understand that. Uh, but, yeah, it did happen to both teams. So I don't know if it would affect it. I would doubt that they would have access to that. You probably don't want them. I mean, you want them to be loose and stuff, but not that freaking loose where they're just, like, you know, checking messages and answering emails and stuff like that. You kind of, like, alluded to the um, – like, the game overall – uh, yes, earlier. And in terms of, you know, where we, I mean, I thought we played well, obviously when the score doesn't go our way, the reaction of the fans are going to be totally different. But uh, Gally, what do you make of the game overall? I didn't want to go into too many specifics because I feel like most of the conversation is going to end with the same sentence where, you know, their goalie pretty much stopped us from like winning this game but uh what do you make overall i mean we were able to put up our best 11 that we possibly could both fab and thiago were there and really they did not show any signs of the injury i feel like i mean maybe they could have played more minutes apart from that i thought they were you know fit enough to play what do you make of the game overall i thought it was a a solid final between two great teams you know real sat back and did what they had to do they played a perfect match to try to beat us they had a few opportunities. Uh, I, I'm still a little confused by how Benzema was offside on the first one. I thought we skated one there. I thought we were already down one nothing when Venetia scored, to be honest. Um, but here and there on the specifics around the offside call, because I've had explained to me twice by two different refs who one thinks it was offsides and the other doesn't, which just shows the law has too much ambiguity in it. Um, so for me, the biggest, the biggest piece was one Courtois – um, I really thought if Mane buried the chance in the first half, everything could have been different, and it was a really good opportunity. I thought he, I thought he was in. I thought he had scored. That might have been where maybe for me it hinges. I'll take my one takeaway 
I saw Discord uh, in the morning. I think I ruffled some people when I said Kanate should start, not because of the matchup or his speed, but because he he is now our first choice number one 11 center back. Um, I think Matip will it will require an injury or a downturn in form for Kanate to give up that spot as number two. He walks in firmly planted in number two, a $36 million buy that took eight months and didn't just get it because he played cup games. He, you know, he lost his first match as a Liverpool player yesterday. And I think he could be pretty proud of that first season. So for that campaign, I'd be, I'd be excited for uh, what the uh, contacts are for him going forward. And I think him and Trent are going to have a really nice partnership. Other than that, you know, Diaz wasn't his normal electric self. I don't know if he was a little nervous. That stuck out to me a little bit. I thought they would do a better job of attacking that side. And I thought they'd create a little bit more from him getting to the end line. And, and, and he didn't really do that. So maybe if that, those would be my two takeaways, you know, Diaz a little underwhelming. Kanate was probably the best player on the pitch in red for me. Oh yeah. How about you, Beckman? I agree with that last half uh, or that last statement. Diaz a little underwhelming. Kanate, I thought was the best for sure. Uh, I'll go a little bit higher than Kanate, and I don't want this to be an emotional reaction to what I think was probably his best match ever in red. But I, you know, Galley says that he's, you know, basically firmly planted himself uh, as the number two ahead of Atep. I'll go further than that. If you look over the second half of the season, I'll say that, you know, say what you will of Van Dyke's leadership ability in the calmness and steadiness he brings to that back line. From a performance standpoint, I think Kanate has outperformed Van Dyke in the entire second half of the season consistently. Right. Yeah. Consistently. And I think he has a harder job considering how we play Trent. Um, I, I can't be any higher than I already am on Kanate. I think the sky is literally the limit for this kid. Um, and I, I think he will go down as one of the greatest signings. You know, we looked at this window, which like before when Jota was on fire and, and Kanate and it, we had a series of, uh, of incredible transfers. And I said, of that lot, I think Kanate will be the best of them when it's all said and done. Uh, I still feel that way. This for the game itself. The first 15 minutes felt, felt to me very much like two prize fighters um, feeling each other out. I think the game went pretty much how expected. Uh, we can have consistently always had a hard time under Klopp's system versus Ancelotti, even when he was at Everton, um, in terms of the way he sets up. And everyone says, oh, we have scored in three finals. You know, we've gone to penalties, 0 0 0. Look at those teams. Ancelotti, who we know gives us problems, especially with quality in front of him. Tuchel, which we know is a defensive mastermind. That's kind of what he hangs his hat on. So I think you're looking at three teams that really set up well defensively. And that would, to me, it's not a lack of finishing that's ever doomed us. I think it may point to the fact that we're not tactically adjusting well enough or that our plan B isn't good enough. Those two things I think you can can sort of own in off you want to be critical. But all in all, I thought the match itself, I thought we played extremely well. Um, I think uh, Coutois had four world-class saves. I think it could have very easily been 4-1, and we're talking about how this is the greatest side ever um, in Liverpool history. You know, instead we're talking about finishing. Um, so hold on before, I don't want to cut you off, but no, I want to ask you this specifically in terms of finishing, because this is a conversation we had in the discord channel where it's almost like we're looking at different definitions of finishing when you have, I mean, in terms, you know, like the biggest criticism was like, Oh, we played these finals, but didn't score goals. 
And I think, especially in this one, it wasn't... I mean, where do you put finishing? When the goalie is playing out of his mind, is right. that because of lack of finishing? Or it just happens to be a goalie playing out of his mind, but if you had clinical finishing, you even beat that goalie. I think that's what like the biggest argument thing was. What do you right, and I think the argument that when you say that we should have been better at finishing, I think you can say that for any team at any time. It's one of those things that you can always get better at, right? But, I mean, if you think it's a lack of finishing, I don't think that's fair because if you look at this team, it's like, yes, we had, like, over 20 shots. Yes, we did score. But, like, our, our expected goal, like, when you look at your XG and it's over, like, two to Real Madrid's point at eight, you know, obviously we were the better attacking team. So why didn't we win? Well, it can't be because you didn't put it on frame. You like you had too many shots off target. But I mean, I think you, that's why you watch the game. You can frame statistics any way you want to, to frame them. Like if I want to argue that, like, oh, you have twenty shots on on target or twenty shots during the game, and you score, you don't score at all. You're not finishing well. Well, if you're watching that game, you're watching Coutinho literally paw four balls out of the net. That were like insane. And if he wasn't literally a goddamn giraffe, he probably doesn't save. Like, um, and then I think if you look at the XG for this side, you want to talk about finishing, we finished second in the league and our, we finished second in the league and goal scored with 94. Okay. That's an incredible tally. We were first in the league and expected goal tally, right? The only team that we lost to was city who essentially had a 0.72 allowed xg allowed so if you're looking statistically that would point to the fact that we're we're kind of like right at that like median like right where you would be you know like if your xg is that high you know if you if you have the, the number one xg in the actual league and you finish second in goals that's not far off that doesn't mean that you're missing a lot of chances especially when the team that beats you essentially just had a better defense uh, defensive record so i don't think it's that i i mean i think you can look to I still think that it comes to in-game tactical things. And I think that finals are a different breed. I don't think you can look at finals the way that you look at standard games because things are usually cagier and set up more defensively for, for, for that one game. Um, so, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that people are operating uh, clearly on that definition of finishing all the time. I think that's the thing, Gally. Like, there was a situation where, like, Salah had, like, an open header. And I almost, like, it's one of those where uh, if it's Jota, maybe that's in. But, you know, obviously. So, the header was right at the goalie. So, you can kind of, like, see that as poor finishing. But the other ones where the guy has to reach to save it to the post and stuff like that. I find it's hard to kind of criticize the finishing as a category and say, oh, we're not good at finishing. We need a finisher or something like that. Where do you stand on it? Because it was a conversation we had. And I know, like, so now everybody is going back. If you're going to be pessimistic, and even I wasn't, so I don't know what the hell people are doing. But if you're going to be pessimistic and look at, you know, oh, we only won the finals by, not only you're not happy with the double, now you're not happy that we're freaking, uh, you know, won it by not scoring. We had to go to the penalties to win it and stuff like that. So, I mean, do you see that as a finishing issue or kind of like what Bickler is saying? No, I, I mean, I'm with Paul on the, the statistically we played a great match. We score plenty of goals. Could we, could we finish better? Sure. 
could we have slotted a goal in in one of three finals over almost 340 minutes of football? You normally probably bet that we would. It didn't happen. That's okay. Um, where I'm a little bit different, my bigger concern or what kind of frustrated me was, was that I felt that there never seemed to feel like a level of urgency to score at times in the second half specifically. And especially after we went down one nil, I, I never felt like we threw the chicken, kitchen sink at it. And I would have liked to have seen it, even if it was Helter Skelter. I wouldn't care if he threw on Taki, if he threw on James Milner and just had him start kicking people, whatever he wanted to do. But it didn't feel like there was that level of urgency. See, the only thing I could think of is that we waited a bit too long for Bobby because I felt – I couldn't tell – like I want to get your take on this, Bickler. Was it the substitutions that were made that made that change where it felt like we were able to create some stuff a bit easier or just the fact that psychologically Madrid had to pull back even further uh, just to protect the lead? Uh, yes. <laughs> like, I, feel like, I feel like it's a combination of a lot of things. I think we were struggling against the system. And, and let me say that, like, you know, Casemiro was a fucking tank in the midfield. And, like, it just sort of further solidified to me that we have an aging midfield core that's got durability issues and we need to look at it. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I think we were struggling against that Real Madrid defense and the way that they were defending. Yes, they did pull back more. Do they played exactly how like we've been talking about this and expecting that they would be very stout defensively. We've been down on Spanish football for a number of years, right? And I think we got caught. I think as supporters, we got caught not realizing that Real Madrid has been dominant this year in league football. Uh, they've been fairly good, like, you know, outside of, of, of the league play as well. Um, and I think they were always going to be tougher than we gave them credit for. And, and, and like to me, I thought the substitutions were good substitutions. Uh, for me, it's the same thing with Klopp. I think they can always come earlier. But, like, then again, he always produces magic in minutes when I would have players off. So, like, I can't fault it too much. I thought the substitutions were fine. I thought that they looked absolutely legged. I thought they looked like they played every single match available this season, which they had. And I thought they looked just, like, gassed. And part of that is – the the amount of energy they spent in the first 60 minutes pushing forward, not getting anything, and then having to defend an absolutely lightning counter that we all worried about, right? You know, and like people will argue like that's Trent's weakness on that, letting that come across. I will argue we shouldn't turn the ball over, not win the second ball, and not close out that ball from that side. I think there are three mistakes before the one that Trent had. And I think that that goal, when Real Madrid had it, not only did I feel it, it was the exact same goal that I feel like we've been talking about happening with Real Madrid. Like, we worry about the switch out wide and the counter to pace. Like, in, like it's exactly what happened. Um, I, I really put that last, like, bit down to fatigue. I can see that. I mean, I didn't, yeah, that goal was just uh... – I know everybody looks at the last frame where it is oh, it is man, like Trent's weakness, and it does happen where you know it's not even a shot. I mean, it's not even a pass; it's a shot. But and I know, but I would argue 
by looking at it, Trent doesn't know anybody is behind him. And that's his weakness is not checking his shoulder in those situations sometimes because we've had that before. But before then, I mean, obviously Henderson's pass, I feel like Diaz does an unnecessary press and totally empties out that wing. And the moment that happened, I was like, ugh, it just looked bad. You could tell. And then they drop with one pass, they drop two midfielders. And then obviously the goal comes afterwards. But uh, I mean, overall, it was... I felt bad just because I felt like we were the better team. We deserved to win, and we didn't more than – it was almost like – and I was telling Angie because, you know, they kind of like left me and Stitch alone for the game so we can, you know, tear down a wall if we have to for good or bad reasons. But it was – you know, when I came, I was like, you know, it's painful because we deserved it. I think I wouldn't have been as sad. If we were out playing and lost like 2-0 or something like that and say it wasn't our day, they just, you know, they were just tired, like you were saying, Paul. But it felt like, you know, we had it. We had that game. We just couldn't, like, grab it and take it away, it felt like. I get that. I, I, I totally get that. And, yeah, I agree with that. And it did hurt because of that. You know, after the game, it felt, like, unjust. But I think if any of us – like, any of us who've played – football competitively understand both sides of that. You know what I mean? We've won games that we shouldn't have been in. Uh, we've like lost games that we should have dominated. Uh, I, to me, it was a prize fight between two prize fighters and they took all of our blows and they just, we got caught on a punch. And like, I think like it, it doesn't feel fair because it, like, I think the scorecard would have been in our favor, right? If we would have gotten one, we had, we had by far more, the, of the punches that connected, right? But they they got the one that mattered. And, like, that's football. Like, you know, like, I, I had a couple of guys at the pub that were really emotional crying. And it's like, dude, that's that's why we follow this, because it matters, but it's also football. Like, and um, I think the hardest thing, it's, easier, it's easy for us to go frame by frame and find one player that we want to hang it on, right? Uh, and I think sometimes the, the smart thing is to just tip your cap to the opposition. And I think, honestly, like having played the game, I think makes it almost more painful because you've been there, right? Like you had yeah. those games where yeah. like you're sitting afterwards and you're like, how the fuck did we lose that? Like there's yeah. no freaking way. And then there have been games where you were like, man, we had no business winning that, but I'll take it. And you kind of moved on. But yeah, I hear you, though. But so now that's. And I want to get to a couple of like the uh, callers, get him on air as well. Uh, Alan is, we have a couple of technical difficulties, but we have Recep waiting in the green room to throw him in their Turkish connection, mind you, and a referee connection at the same time. But, uh, but Gally, let me start with you. Uh, Cause I know when we were talking last week, when we talked with Beckler, we said we would still be happy with the season overall content, maybe more towards happy, uh, but we wouldn't call this as, um, Bickler was saying a historic team because of we did not get the treble and the Champions League. Where do you stand on it looking at this week? What I mean, looking at this year as a whole, where do you stand? How do you view this team? I think it would be hard to call a Liverpool side historic that won two domestic cups. But I think when you take into context what they've gone through, how much the team has, how many matches the team's played, how well they played to have four losses in 63 matches over a calendar, over a full campaign, you know, that's pretty unbelievable. And 
a point away from the you know winning the Premier League title. We you know you guys talked about it last week. Twenty two out of the thirty years that would have been enough to win the league. The points total that we amassed this year. I still think this is a massive, massive success. And if you think where we were just eight years ago, you know, struggling to get into Europa League and falling outside of Europe, you know, the first year that Klopp was here, I, I still think that you just have to really be excited for where this goes. Um, I, we might get to, you know, the other news that came out after and kind of what's probably next. And over the summer, we'll talk about the excitement. It can't be historic, but it is still three cup finals appearances, one point out of the league, and we're right on pace, I think, with the bit between our teeth. And, you know, to steal the comment, Paul mentioned, you know, the prize fighter. You know, the old adage in boxing is styles make fights, right? And this was the perfect heavyweight type fight because we were going to come at you with everything. And they were maybe more perfectly poised to set up and hit us on the counter. Let's be honest, guys. We lost to Inter Milan. We lost to West Ham. We lost to Leicester City. And we lost to Real Madrid. All four of those teams set up with class counterattacks. And on a day where we weren't our normal offensive juggernaut, they hit us with opportunities and they all struck with basically what? They scored five, seven goals total in the in the three in the four losses, six goals. So it, it, to me, I think it shows our high line leaves us, and I think it's something that we have to look at because teams are going to set up to play us this way. And it's one thing when you play, you know, the Watfords and the weak Burnleys because they don't have the class to exploit the high line and the mistakes. But when you let someone with Benicia's Junior's talent get a shot at you. Or you let Latoro Martinez get behind you four minutes into a match, you're going to concede goals. And I think when we want to win these big, big matches and score against teams like Chelsea and teams that will try to play the low block, we're going to have to somewhat tweak our tactics. Or to Paul's point, we're going to have to augment and change up the midfield to make sure there's a little bit more of legs and a little bit more fresh energy in the Hendo and Tiago roles at time to support our fullbacks if our tactics are going to be that they continue to bomb forward. But I'm proud of this club. I'm excited for where it goes. And I don't think losing the Champions League final took anything away. If anything, for me, it might have re-added the shine because I feel like for all the doom and gloom, I almost feel like I would be sick to my stomach right now about the overrelation had we actually won this thing 2-1 or 3-1. to one. Because then the emotions on the social media would have been that City is shitty and that we should have done this and we're going to win the quadruple again and the expectations would be that this is how it is every year. And I think that every once in a while, no losses are good, but they can be positive for the club. And in the long run, this might be a positive for the club. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously it's disappointing and this is exactly why i wanted the fa cup as bad as i did because i wanted to at least have this team come with the double i don't know if i agree with that high line thing i more tend to agree with the maybe uh having a deeper squad throughout especially in midfield would have because the counter argument to that would be you know you kind of four teams to be played against well let's face it 80 percent of the teams we play try to do that counter thing 
And this team didn't let all these other teams, including top teams, not be able to do that. So I don't see that ever changing that with Klopp. Uh, but hopefully... I didn't, say change it, I didn't say change it. I said that maybe actually work around it when you're playing a side that can exploit it, add something in a layer that's to changing tactically... I mean, I don't think this them. team ever switches from... I mean, hey, trust me, it would help my heartbeat numbers per minute. Uh, but I don't see this team... Uh, I don't see Klopp ever going away from that high line. We recruit based on the system that we play. I mean, Konate is built for that system, and that's why we paid him the money. And I think, if anything, we can kind of do more maybe in midfield. And I think this five-substitution thing will help in the next season, but definitely this team will need more, like, you know, reinforcements to be able to do that so that that midfield will enable that high line to kind of function and then with the backs to push up and everything like that. Uh, Bickler, let's take your take in a, uh, for the season, and then I'll try to bring Reggie upon to take his as well. I think Alan is still having technical difficulties. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about hope kills, right? Like, in how that's – like, that was the difference in us being okay with losing the Premier League uh, and not being okay with it, right? It was the way that we lost it. I think that kind of the same rings true for the season in general, right? If you would have told us before the season we're going to win two trophies, two of the four trophies, and we're going to be in all the finals uh, available enough for a quad, we would have fucking torn your hand off and said that's a phenomenal season, right? Um, the fact that the two domestic cups probably meets that a little bit. I think the fact that like the way that we lost those meets it. Uh, but all in all, like I agree with Galley that probably when you look at this uh, up with the historic seasons, I think because of how we competed and all the way through. Yes. I think the results probably not. And that's what makes me sad. Right. Because like when we look at this in 15 years, the reality is, is that, more than half of us won't we remember won't remember how close to the quad this actually was. We'll remember that, like, oh, this was a great year and we won two trophies. But we won't remember the historic significance of how close that quad was. Um, and that's that's kind of that's where that's what hurts for me, right? Because I feel like this team deserves better than that um, in general. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's like the biggest thing because when we talk historic, we're talking you know 15 years down the road when we look back at this team i don't know what will you know will we say ah oh, that team almost had it all but i feel like you know we're in the midst of like a huge run and this was definitely not the end of it this team definitely responds well uh to losing finals for one and uh, hopefully it'll be the same thing so we bring on Alan is still having technical difficulties i think so but uh, we have Recep with us Recep, what's going on man how's it going hello 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 guys how's everybody doing uh, so we, Recep and I have a Turkish connection as well as a Fenerbahce connection going. Oh here. yeah, he's a hardcore Liverpool fan. We talk on Facebook. Absolutely, yes, sir. You got it. What yeah. do you feel like now that the season is over? How will you remember the season, or how do you view the season as a whole? Well, this is a remarkable season. There's no doubt about it. I mean, uh, in my humble opinion, Liverpool deserves the you know utmost respect this season. Because can you guys imagine without Liverpool, Manchester um, City has could have been clinched the title at the beginning of April. It's, it's obvious, you know, the point differential between you know the rest of the teams and the Manchester City, you know, clinched the title long ago, and 
the most prestigious league turned out to be an April Fool's beginning of April. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the way I look at it. So, I mean, if there was no Liverpool, the league, you know, this, this season, it wouldn't be ex exciting. So as anybody else. That's what so at the end of the season now, you look back, you sad, happy, disappointed, content. Where are you at? Oh, all of them. Absolute sad. <laughs> we need to a title. However, I mean, definitely proud with the performance of this team. It's, it's absolute loudest word. You know, uh, we dropped so many silly points. There's no doubt about it. I mean, you know, so many silly points. Uh, but uh, it happens. This is football. You know, it's just part of it. Uh, but other than that, I am definitely proud. There's no doubt about it. Proud of the team, proud of the players, the team, the staff, everybody, you know. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I'm happy with the performances. So before we let you go, let me ask you this question. Because, I mean, yeah. obviously, when we talk, if it is the journey that counts, I mean, this team has given us freaking every single game we can, first of all. So True. we're going to be able to thank that. Um let me ask you this because we're going to get to this topic next with these guys. Uh, with Mane leaving, right? How, what kind of an off season are you expecting? Or, like, is Diaz was the replacement and we're all set? Or, what kind of moves are you expecting in this? No. Not hoping for, expecting, right? Uh, Mane is, uh, you know, most likely he'll, he'll, be, he'll be gone so very soon. So, I mean, they're talking about uh, Son, you know, from uh, Tottenham. So, he's, he's a very exciting player as well, you know. Lots of talent, lots of skills, you know. So, can be a good replacement for money, in my opinion. Uh, and there is this Carvalho coming from uh, Fulham. So, uh, I think he'll turn out to be a new Coutinho. So, we'll see how that goes. Club can improve players. We all know that. You know, yes. we all know that he can improve players. So. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So those two, you know, can make a difference in the offensive end. So, so next year, how many trophies is this team winning, Rajat? Uh, all it now. I, I hope all of it. You know, but all of it. <laughs> yeah. But I want to again, these fans know, are spoiled. Okay. <laughs> For thirty years, I always said. I want one more title before I die, and I have seen it. So thank goodness for that. I mean, what's one more, right? Hey, plenty of more, hopefully. Hopefully, we'll stick around. Thanks a lot for joining, Rajab. Appreciate it. Take care. Take care. All the best. So, same question to you, Bickler. I highly doubt Tottenham is going to have us let us get Son. Otherwise, I'd be very happy about that. But they would probably uh, burn their new stadium down before they let us get Son. <laughs> I think so too. But uh, what do you guys expect? Let's start with you, Bickler. I want to get to Galley as well. Uh, in terms of money's replacements, in terms of activity this summer, I mean, we'll have the whole summer to talk about individuals, but like looking ahead. Are you expecting a huge summer or is it going to be a I'm expecting a big summer. summer. I'm expecting a big summer. I'm extremely excited for it. It's going to happen. If it doesn't, I'm going to burn this motherfucker down. Like, no, like, <laughs> no, like, like, I, I think like we're at a point where this team is basically re it, the core of it has to get younger. Okay. Uh, if I look across the board, I think the obvious things that are immediate, like sort of like swaps are uh, fullback depth. Third for Trent's side, so a backup right back. 
Uh, a traditional number nine with Origi going out, even though he just figured out he's a traditional number nine. Um, like, uh, I would assume uh, – I think there's going to be five to six bodies that are going to to be in there, specifically right fullback, num- traditional number nine. I think there will be a versatile striker sign that basically can play across front all front – the front three like Jata. Um, and – I think that this team really needs at least two starting caliber midfielders added to it. When you look at the fact that our front, our top four midfielders are Keita, Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago, all four of which have durability issues. Um, so I really think midfield's key, and I, and I expect some serious heavy hitters coming in this summer. Man, that gives me optimism, and that's freaking rare coming from Nickler. So what do you have, Galley? I I mean I'm similar. I, I think they're gonna spend some money. I also think they're gonna sell a lot. I mean I, I expect outgoings. I expect you know Nat, Nico, I expect Ox to be sold. I think I think Taki will be oh my gonna say great opportunity I, for they're gonna, they're gonna raise close to 80 million pounds in outgoings. Yeah, no, I mean I think Taki will be and then if you add money into it, I think you you're gonna be 85 to you could argue you could get 85 to hundred million in what they are willing to sell. If you move on from Taki, you move on. And there's other players in this side that, you know, we've talked about it before, that may look for playing time. If they're, you know, if I'm, and I've said this many times, I get my head chewed off every time for it. I'll say it again. It doesn't bother me. If I'm Curtis Jones, I'm looking at this second half of a season where we just had 63 matches and I averaged seven minutes in the Premier League. Seven. At times, early in the year, I was behind Harvey Elliott. By the end of the year, I was firmly behind Keita, Tiago, and James Milner in the crunch minutes at the end of matches. So I like the player, think there's a, a, a young player in there. But to Paul's point, if we go out and buy two first 11 starters, he is now sixth choice, seventh choice at Liverpool to start next season. Can he afford to do that at 22, 23 years old? In his career, or does he need to go start at Aston Villa or Crystal Palace? Connor Gallagher got out of Chelsea and made himself a starter in the World Cup. Okay? And I know Curtis Jones has got the arrogance that he believes he should start for Liverpool. But I'll tell you right now, he's not first 11 quality today. He might get there. So, But there's a guy that would fetch 25, 30 million if we put him up. And Newcastle would snap at it. And other clubs would. And I'm not saying we're going to sell him. But at some point, just like Mane had to go, someone had to be the first of the front three. Someone's also going to have to be the first of the young guns we thought were going to be stars that we cash in on. Because Kai Gordon, Carvalho, Elliot, Jones, Morton, Connor Bradley, they all can't make it at Liverpool or we can't go buy all these world-class players that everybody wants. So my guys, um, I think we will spend some money I don't know we'll drop 80 on Darwin Nunez. I would think we'd be more likely to drop 40 on some kid that nobody knows yet, you know, in the Austrian league or, you know, playing at, you know, a young kid at Ajax. I do believe that we'll sign a striker. I think we'll sign a versatile winger or we'll move Hardy. My question is, who's the impact midfielder? Because I think we need someone to start in Jordan Henderson's I agree. And that's uh, hard. I mean, 
I don't know who we would get. I can't think of a name off the top of my head, and I'm sure the entire summer we'll be talking about a lot of names that would be a shoe-in where we would feel very confident in terms of being able to come in and just like fill those shoes. And I feel like a lot of these young guys, I don't know if we're going to get enough time. I mean, Curtis Jones is a good example that you give. because, But, I mean, you look at Elliot, for example. Obviously, he had that injury. But in the beginning of the season, he looked like he was a lock as a starter. And then, obviously, the injury happens and everything changes. So I don't know how we're going to enter the new season. And obviously, you know, every season we do tweak some things. Um, Klopp likes having these off seasons. Obviously, even though it's probably the same length as having a World Cup and starting regular, because they're just basically now they have these stupid international games, and then the season starts early, so it's not as long of a break. But having a camp, I'm assuming we're going to implement some new things too. I'm excited to see this Carvalho kid and what he brings. Is he going to be used right away? Like you're saying, Gally, a lot of names you threw out there. Who's going to stick? And who's going to kind of move on? Because we always like get excited about these young guys and we want them to do well. But I mean, realistically, to play for Liverpool, not everybody's going to, not every youth guy is going to make it. I think I shared the photo of me and Megan walking through Stanley Park where we bumped into Tyler Morton. And I'm not joking when I say this, guys. I slightly ducked so he could fully get into the frame. And I'm pretty sure I was actually wider than him. Like, so for all the screens, he is, he is tiny. When I mean small, I mean frail. He, he genuinely looks like a little guy and you see him up against these other ones. And I just feel like sometimes we have this idea that, you know, these kids are ready because they have a great couple matches or a moment. And I just think that some of these kids are a long ways away and we just have these plans of where we're going, and I just don't know that all the passengers on the bus will be there, you know, next year when it pulls in to the station. What do you think, Bickler, about the youth? I think it's a good point. I think it's a really unpopular opinion of uh, Curtis Jones, but I think it's, it's dead on, and I completely, I completely agree. Um, and we talked about this with Harvey, whether it's Curtis Jones. Like, I get very wary of getting overhyped on these young kids because they seem to come into the side and play beyond themselves for a period, and then they sort of regress and then they settle into their mean. And it's that mean is usually far below that window where they come into the squad, right? Uh, I, I think every once in a while you have an exception like Trent who hits that window out of the gate and stays there, right? I think that is the 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 exception, the crazy small single percentage. They said that only 2% of the kids that hit the academy make it through. And it, like it's a fraction of that that makes it first team. And I think, I think Curtis Jones has got all the tools, but I think the club, like uh, if this was eight years ago, he's probably starting. But I think the club has basically progressed to the point where we are elite from a talent standpoint. And I think it is very, very, very small odds that a player gets there. He, like, so, so Galley is dead on with the, the fact that he should be playing first team football somewhere because his next two contracts are his entire career. Those are his big contracts, his next two. I mean, he's playing for that now. 
And, and, and Galley's right. When we're opting for Milner in because we want the steal at the end of the games, we're opting for for Kate off the bench, or Thiago off the bench, or for for whoever off the bench that provides because that that like he doesn't quite get there offensively in a way that Thiago and Kate does. He's in that middle ground, and and I really do think that probably a move is best for him. Um, he's crushing my dreams on Morton. Like I, I still think that. Like I mean, realistically, when I saw Klopp's comments about his like, oh, he's a great player. We just got to get him in the weight room. I mean. Like that's probably pretty clear that he's physically not anywhere near it, right? Um, but I, I think that's a, a, a really sort of a, a important conversation because I mean, we, does anyone remember Jordan? I mean, he lit the world on fire when he played for us. You know what I mean? Has anyone heard of him since? Not since we got that twenty million for him. Like, look at Woodburn; he's probably going to go out on a free. You know, Ojo is going to go out on a free. Uh, so like these kids, they come in and they may light the world on fire for a few, but we don't know. I still have serious concerns on Harvey Elliott. I think he has the ability to be an elite talent. And I think he did lock himself into the first, the starting 11 before his injury, partially because we were already thin in midfield from injury, but nonetheless, he did it. But like my concern about him is my, my very similar concern to Carvalho, Carvalho coming in and the fact that their skill set is very much like Coutinho, where Klopp couldn't find an actual spot in the starting 11 that made sense for him. Because they those players, Carvalho and, and, and Elliot, do not have the top-end pace to play up top. The top-end pace, the physicality for it. And then the midfield, it's a system that demands too much defensively for players like that. I yeah. will say that Harvey did a very, very good job of adjusting defensively and working with Mo and Trent in tandem. So there is – I have more optimism there. The, the Carvalho one to me is almost a weird transfer because to me it's like the only way that you play him where he fits would be like Coutinho, and you have to change the formation for that. You have to play him in a free – like a, a free run 10. Unless you can adopt him into a false nine and get him to play like Firmino, and that's kind of where like I'm at with it. Like I'm like – I'm wondering if we're going to start playing him in a way that we play Firmino because Jota can't. So – um, it's an interesting conversation, but I just want to say like kudos to, to Galley because I think that is a very common uh, angle on that situation, but I think it's the correct angle. Yeah, I think, I mean, silly season is here. Uh, we got a few months to kind of like dissect these situations and uh, kind of like look at player at a time as well uh, in these podcasts. And I feel like while I know these guys will need the playing time. The only thing that keeps coming back to me is the fact that we're changing the five subs. And I don't know if that will give him enough opportunities for us to see more of them. Because in these tight games, I don't blame Klopp for going for Milner in those last 10 minutes or something like that. You know, it was like yellow card time kind of deal. Uh, as opposed to, you know, throwing Elliot out there or like Jones out there where they can make a defensive error or they will be too attack-minded and not be professional enough to kind of close out the game and stuff like that, whereas mm -hmm. that can change in the next season, I think. But we shall see, and we will have a lot to talk about, I'm sure, during this silly season. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me. We could not get Alan and Reza on, hopefully, next podcast. We can get more fans on and kind of, like, get their takes on this transfer stuff as well. Had some technical difficulties with those guys this week, but next week, for sure, 
We'll see you guys next Monday with this trio. Hopefully by then Gally will work out his microphone in this background over there as well. And we'll continue the wrestling match these got going back there. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you guys next week.